I have to represent, as they say. <laughs> we are here with Alexander Rickers and the amazing Garland Nixon. Hello, everybody. How is everyone doing today? Alexander, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well and delighted to be with Garland again. It's a long time since we've had you, Garland, and that's a, that's a very sad fact, but it's a very happy fact that we have you now. Thank you very Gar much. Garland, how are you? Where can people find you? Uh, yeah, well, I'm all over now, of course, YouTube and Rumble and Rockfin and all of those sorts of places. Certainly not on X because I've, you know, well, people probably know my story. I'm not on X right now. But uh, at any rate, that's the main thing. YouTube, the, the usual places. Yeah, we we need to make more noise about that. I still don't understand what happened with X. Very you know, just, Well, I don't get it. Yeah, they're, they, they've made it clear. They cannot verify me as the owner of the account that I've had since 2009. The account that I paid them for verification for one year in July. And in August, they said, we can't verify the account you. Sorry, we can't let you on this account. Feel free to start another account. We need to make some noise about that. It sounds so weird. It does, so absolutely. Weird. Anyway, all right. So uh, let's uh, let's get rolling. Let's uh, let's say hello to everyone first that is watching us on Odyssey, on Rockfin, on Rumble, and vdoran.locals.com, and everyone watching us on YouTube. Hello to our amazing moderators, Valies. How you doing, Peter? How goes it? And who else is with us? Let's see, Peter, Valies, and that's. I think that is it as far as moderators go. All right. Alexander Garland, uh, what should we talk about? Not much going on in the world, Alexander. Is there? Let's get started. There's an overabundance of things going on in the world, and there is one single thread that unites them. And the single thread that unites them is the administration in Washington. And Garland, I have repeatedly in program after program reference that comment you made to me i think it's way back um in 2022 uh, in an email about the fact that this is a very dangerous administration and one that is going to launch us into wars all over the place and here we are wars in ukraine wars in the middle east major crisis in uh, um, the asia pacific region there's a powerful american warship heading towards uh steaming to in that direction we were having discussions with somebody from the region yesterday and she was telling us about this and um we have a war that is being lost in ukraine and a crisis in the middle east which is going wrong also but never mind just carry on find more wars create more trouble around the world, even though, as Alex, uh, uh, as we are going to discuss, time is actually running out. Yes. And what's interesting also here in the United States is that, you know, those of us who can look at these disasters around the world with uh, great concern, understand uh, the danger here. The ruling elite in the United States are uh, horrified and their biggest fear, what they see is as their biggest danger is that Donald Trump won Iowa in a blowout. The fact of the matter is their biggest concern is that someone might come into the system who would stop them from continuing with these misadventures around the world. And I find that interesting. It shows to me 
um, that we are at a time when the ruling elite in the U.S. and of course uh, by proxy in the um, and it's what I would call now it's colonies in in Europe and uh, uh, Canada, et cetera, um, are completely and thoroughly disconnected from the masses. So the people, of course, are concerned about, as everywhere, people are always concerned about their day-to-day -day life, feeding their children, the opportunities for the future, education, et cetera. And our ruling elite now are in great desperation over the um, the rise of China and Russia, and subsequently, eventually, India will, you know, will, will fall into their crosshairs as it attempt, attempts to grow also. But um, their big fear is that the American people may determine that there's someone else out there who wouldn't go in that direction, who may come in. And, I, and I'll tell you why I, I think this is their big fear. Because their hands are so dirty, they can't afford for someone to come to power who would look into what they've been doing. If you think about Olaf Schultz, right? They have to outlaw the AFD and everything. They have to do anything by any means necessary. They must stop anyone else from coming into power. What would happen if a party came to power and started turning over rocks <laughs> in Berlin? And they're like, wait a minute. You mean you knew about the bombing and you and what happens if there are people in the administration of an Olaf Schultz or, or Joe Biden who says, you know, I didn't think it was right what we did with the whatever, fill in the blank, be it the um, be it the uh, something going on in Ukraine, the, the crypto exchange thing going on there or maybe the Nord Stream and says, I wanted to talk, but I was afraid. But now that we have a new administration. I'm going to sing like a canary. Their, feel, their fear is not right now as much as if they get out, they all end up, yeah. Joe Biden is already there. Netanyahu is already there. They'll all end up trying to cover their tracks in fear that they'll go to jail mm. or be held accountable, I guess that's the term. And, and I think I'm right in saying, Garland, that you have a background in law enforcement. Yes. You've dealt with people of that kind. You you know uh, you know what you speak, and I think you are absolutely correct about this. It's interesting that you brought up Germany because I've just been catching up on news from Germany, and it is exactly as you say. So, the German political class is in shock because of two things that happened. Firstly, Robert Habeck, we all know who he is, leader of the Greens, vice chancellor economics minister, author of this entire catastrophe that Germany is going through. He has just returned from holiday and he found himself heckled by 300 farmers. And this is apparently, it is something that has never happened in Germany before. And the fact that he was confronted directly by people, that apparently has created shockwaves in Germany. But even more shocking, have been the result of some opinion polls that are coming out of Germany. 81% of Germans back the farmers in their protests, 81%. And 45% of Germans say that they might protest themselves. They're so mm -hmm. angry about the situation. Now, if you knew, if you know Germany, you would know how extraordinary that last figure is. I mean, 45% of Germans saying that they might be prepared to come out and protest, I think is unprecedented in the history of the Federal Republic. I mean, it is, it, it tells you, it's exactly what you were saying, the disconnect between the elites 
and the populace. It, it's now becoming extreme. The elites are conscious of it. They're getting incredibly frightened of it. And that's why they're reaching all the time for ever more extreme things that they can do, like, as you said, banning the IFD. A sign of how scared they are, by the way, and I'm talking about Germany again, is this latest vote in the Bundestag. The Bundestag, everybody was expecting, would endorse the transfer of Taurus long-range missiles to Ukraine. Everybody was expecting that it would happen. And it was resoundingly defeated. And that is because German deputies in the Bundestag are now becoming incredibly nervous about the mood in Germany. And it is the same in the United States. But we have the countervailing things. It's exactly, again, exactly as you said. I've been looking at what has been appearing, not in ordinary media, you know, media that most people live, but in the sort of big foreign policy journals. We've had, over the course of seven days, between the 3rd of January and the 10th of January, a whole succession of articles appearing in foreign affairs, foreign policy, the New Yorker, the Wall Street Journal, one in the Washington Post by our old friend Max Boot, by the way. They've all been coming out, trundling out. They've all been saying the same thing. Look, we must stay the course over Ukraine. There's no question we mustn't negotiate. We mustn't think about negotiations. Victory is still possible. All we need to do is give Ukraine more weapons, more money. If we lose, it will not be because the Russians are strong. It is because we are vacillating and dithering that we lack courage and we lack will. So there is this other countervailing push that you, we must remain firm. We must remain firm as a rock. We must just continue with this policy. And again, I think it is the same as the point that you're making. They are too far in now to stop or to reverse. If they started to pull back, if negotiations were to begin, questions would start to be asked, doubts would start to be raised about why did we do what we did. They can't turn around in Germany and say it was a mistake to cut ourselves off from Russian gas. It has to be, we have to persist with this. And the result is that they have to continue in exactly the way that they've been doing up to now. And in effect, they're being warned by the various people who are now stakeholders in this project. There's no turning back. You must continue. You must press on because if you don't, God help you. Right. And, and what happens ultimately now is the misalignment between the ruling elite and the people gets more pronounced. The longer now they, as you said, they're too far out over, you know, their, their skis. They can't back off now because they've, you know, they've got to ride this lie out kind of like, and you know, this as an attorney, there are times when, um, you know, the, the, your, 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 your opposition, you'll have, they'll give you, you know, 30 days to respond. And you wait till the 29 and a half day to respond because, you know, maybe something will happen. Maybe you'll come up with a new plan. And sometimes on that 29th day, something happens. Aha, there we go. We can get out. We can do this or we can do something different. Right. And sometimes that's a matter of hope. Sometimes we're going to wait to 29 days. Hopefully something will come around. Sometimes it doesn't. But they are in a position now where all they have left is hope. 
we are going to stick on to this and hope something will happen, anything, because we cannot, um, as you said, you know, we cannot go to our people and say all the suffering mm -hmm. that you were going through mm -hmm. and the destruction of your present and your future was for nothing. They can't do this. But the but what happens is the voices of rationality, such as yourself and Alex, right? The voices of rationality that try to- This is us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> try to that try to say, you know, well, let's evaluate this thing um, pragmatically and figure out what's in the best interest of all. They continue to hum along and more and more people start to listen and say, you know, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Perhaps in hindsight, we should have listened to those people. Mm -hmm. And now what we see is this, something that we discussed the first time it came on, on this show. That's that, that's very obvious. And that is that an integral part of the U.S. of the neocons plan to take out Russia, China, et cetera, was also to take out Europe. John Bolton in his book said that the neocons viewed the Europe, the, the EU as the second largest uh, threat behind China. And so it was we're going to take out Russia, China, but we have to. But there was a different plan for the EU. It was, we'll just subjugate the EU because that will be easy and we'll prey upon them. We'll take their industry, mm -hmm. we'll sell them things mm -hmm. at seven, six and seven times the, the, the price. So the EU was the easy one because they would, because they knew the ruling elite would be submissive and they knew their place. And so it worked. The problem they have is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. And now they are struggling to hold back the the, the the flood, the reaction in the same way that the Arab leaders in some countries are struggling to hold back the anger and fury of their population. So it's interesting that the, the U.S. empire has created a dynamic where their mm -hmm. vassal states, where their kind of puppet leaders around the world are now all struggling to hold back the reality that the empire's goals are not only not aligned with the masses, but it is in it is contrary to the best interest of the masses. Absolutely, this is completely correct. You're getting this. You, you see, you saw this. There was this. The, the, the debate in the German Parliament, for instance, was was most unusual because there were MPs, people I'd not never heard of before, coming out now finally and starting to say precisely those things. You're starting to see the same things being said in the European Parliament as well. The, there is now the beginning of a debate in Germany because they can't control the situation anymore, or at least they're finding it more difficult to control the situation. And yes, they are looking to tighten things up further we have all these uh, laws that the European U uh, Union is now talking about, you know, clamping down on what people can say. Uh, I, I want to avoid the D word because I know that triggers all sorts of things. But, you know, we all know what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, they want to control what people are saying. There's going to be more laws like that. In Germany, the situation there has now become extremely bad indeed, by the way. Very, very bad. Um, and um, at the same time. They can't avoid the fact that people come out and speak directly now to MPs I mean, and, and ministers. So Robert Habeck gets heckled by farmers. Um, Christian Lindner, the finance minister. Again, you can, you can see the pictures of this. 
mean, he has incredible time. He's been shouted down when he's trying to speak to people, trying to explain why they have to uh, have less uh, uh, subsidies for their diesel oil because we've got to cover the costs of the Ukraine war and all this. Because, I mean, he, 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 it, it is becoming quite dramatic in Germany. And I suspect the same will happen before long in France, in Italy, in all sorts of places, because, again, the expectation in Europe that things are going to turn around and start to improve economically this year is not being fulfilled. Inflation is rising again. Contraction continues. We are unquestionably in Europe and in Britain in a stagflation situation. To a lesser extent, you are in the United States in that situation also. The United States is the bigger country. It has a much bigger country. It has in some ways a more, um, a, a deeper rooted democratic culture. I mean, one has to say it because that is true. There is a more deep rooted sense of, you know, belief in free speech, in the safeguards of the First Amendment of the Constitution, of which we have no exact equivalent in Europe, and certainly no kind of similar tradition in Europe. So in the United States, the debate is a bit, is, is, is more open. There are people in Congress who are now starting to speak out. There are people on the right, like Donald Trump. There are people on the left, like Robert Kennedy Jr. There are more people like this starting to talk and say things than you will find in Europe. But even in Europe, certainly in Germany, things are cracking. And for the record, and just to say, I've had more inquiries from Germany, from people in Germany, including from a person I know, uh, um, than I have had um, at any time since we started the Duran over the last two weeks. That's interesting because so have I. I've had people send me messages that have said, when are you going to do a show on Germany? And then they would go on to, you know, uh, talk about the many problems in Germany. It's it's interesting that um, Germany is simply becoming destabilized and the um, uh, the Ukraine misadventure. Um, I believe intentionally destabilized and impoverished, uh, impoverished Europe. What the other part I think that's that is coming is a rejection of the of, of the Zelensky regime in Kiev. Yeah. How long will they be able to hold back the 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 sentiment of the people in Kiev? You know, we don't get the reports on that, but let's mm -hmm. face it, their lives are misery as a result of this. I saw an interview uh, on Telegram of a, of a man in uh, mm -hmm. in Kiev, and they asked him about the Maidan coup and what would he do if he could go back ten years? And he said something like, "I would say nobody go to Maidan Square." <laughs> and they said, "Why?" And he said, "Well, because look how that's worked out, and it's fairly obvious." I suspect mm -hmm. that though the, um, the 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 neocons will do the best to try to you know keep a stiff upper lip and tell us that Ukraine's holding out. At some point, there will be protests, there will be pushback, there will be something, um, some really bad things happening in Ukraine, maybe the government overthrown, but at some point, and I've said this, I believe this, I like to say this on the show, I believe that the point will come when the people of Ukraine will not be furious at Russia anymore. Mm. They will be furious at the US. They will mm. be furious at the EU, that they will wake up one day and say, you know, we've been had. They threw us into mm. uh, they, they threw us into a cage with a bear and told us that we could beat the bear. Because my understanding is that the US empire said to them, look, 
You just keep fighting and uh, Russia, don't take, don't make any deals. And as long as you want, we will cover you. And foolishly, they trusted the Biden administration. And we know how that always, if you trust the Biden administration, that is a recipe for doom. But I, I believe the time will come when they will turn and say, you we're are, angry at Europe. You are absolutely correct. I mean, can I just say, this is exactly what happened with the people in the Northern Caucasus in mm -hmm. Chechnya. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, uh, you, you have the evidence of that all around you. I mean, uh, the Chechens who fought and were encouraged to fight an independence war against the Russians in the 1990s. It turned into a total disaster for them. The people who took over Chechnya at that time were uh, 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 really terrible characters. Mm -hmm. Many of them, you know, connected with the international jihadi movement with which the Chechen people have no fundamental sympathies. There was a fundamental religious disconnect as well, which people don't realize. And what happened was, at the end of it, through the whole process, they came out and they are now the most militant fighters for Russia in the area of the special military operation. What people don't also know, by the way, is that the military police, the Russian military police in Syria, is apparently almost entirely Chechen staffed. And again, the reason is that they wanted to go to Syria, firstly because Syria is a country with which, as it's a fellow Muslim country, they have an affinity, but also because they knew the kind of people who were fighting in Syria and they wanted to fight them back because they have unfinished business with them from the 1990s and the early 2000s. So you saw that with the Chechens. And I'm, I'm confident, I am sure you're right about the Ukrainians as well. And the interesting thing is that over the last few weeks, you can see that there's been this collapse of trust and support in the Ukrainian government and in all the Ukrainian institutions within Ukraine itself. Um, at the moment, the government is still in control. There's now talk about appointing Kirill Budanov, who is the intelligence chief, defense minister of Ukraine, which, in my opinion, if they do that, because he's not really a military commander, he's a political ideological general. It's a sign that the leadership is becoming very nervous about the loyalty of the army and wants to appoint the equivalent of a political commissar to ensure control over it. I mean, that's how I would interpret it, mm -hmm. uh, that kind of move, if that if that actually does happen now. Uh, no, not, not defence minister, sorry, in Zeluzhny's place. Get rid right, of Zeluzhny, right, right. Budanov. And we're getting report after report now showing Ukrainian soldiers coming out, complaining about the leadership, the way they're being led, complaining about what they've been asked to do, downright refusing to do things that they are being asked to do. And from Zelensky's and the government side, this constant feverish production of these ever more fantastic plans and schemes that are somehow going to change and turn the situation around 
from issuing reparation bonds <laughs> secured against frozen Russian assets, which is as we discussed in our programs on the Durant, is straightforwardly illegal, and everybody knows it. To uh, further attacks on Crimea, to advances into Kherson region across the Dnieper, that apparently has now also collapsed. All these feverish plans being cobbled and put together, it's not a sign of real forward planning or forward thinking. It's a sign of a government that's feeling increasingly insecure and is making up things as it goes along because it's trying to win back public support and yes it senses that it's losing him yes and and as you'll you'll, you'll know this illusion it's something far worse than illegal it's stupid <laughs> you know but uh at any rate yeah so the 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 other thing i think and um you know, this is a discussion that's been going on now for, for quite some time after uh, September of, I believe it was 2022, when the um, after the, the, you know, the, the offensive of, of Ukraine, there was a discussion about the Russians doing some massive, you know, big offensive. And, you know, I've been one all along. My position all, all along has been if time is, a, is an asset in a battle, use time. And I felt as though the Russians were never being, you know, we, I went back and forth with Scott Ritter and lots of people. And you might have seen some of them where I said, mm -hmm. if I were Putin, I'd take my time. If I'm mm -hmm. watching my enemy walk off a cliff, I'm not going to slow stop them. I'm not going to help them out. And we see the wisdom of the Russian way of fight, way of fighting mm -hmm. that the 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 um, the slow paced attrition based um uh, uh offensives because it you know just because it's be because they're not sending people you know out of the trenches by the tens of thousands charging into the ukrainian machine gun nest mm. doesn't mean that they're not doing an, an offensive what they're doing is a very slow and deliberate offensive that gives them time mm. to address uh political um economic and diplomatic um, parts of this conflict, they understand that the United States has launched a multi-pronged conflict against them and pretty much everybody else in the world who aspires mm -hmm. to, to better themselves. And I think the Russians now, or all along, have felt as though we will take our time. It gives us time to work. It gives us time to increase our industrial capacity. So time was always on their side. Meanwhile, they could see the deterioration of the European um, economic situation. So they've taken their time. And as yeah. I see it, the Russians are still in no hurry because yeah. at some point, you know, I've said, yeah. uh, actually the way the greatest victory in martial arts and self-defense is not, is not to fight, but the second greatest victory is to wear your opponent down to a point where you can just touch him on the forehead with a feather boop, yeah. and he'll fall. And you do That's not even have to engage him. And they're setting the West up to a point where they're not even going to have to touch him with a feather. They're going to fall on their own. But this long term strategy has been very, very beneficial for the Russians. And I'll say this one other thing. I think another part of the strategy was to keep the hotheads at bay, because if they did a big offensive, then the um, the hotheads would be tempted to react in a major way, strikes, uh, uh, nukes, who knows what. But in that they slowly creep and slowly take over their opponent bit by bit, it, the, 
they're the, the 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 hotheads in Washington don't ever get a chance to get their feet set. They're just kind of figuring out what are they going to do next? Are they losing? Are they winning? Maybe this narrative will work. And the Russians just plod along yeah. slowly and gently, as they say in the battle between the rock and the stream. The stream always wins. Absolutely. The, uh, it's what you describe. It's it's the Roman policy, Festina Lente, make haste slowly, <laughs> which is Caesar Augustus apparently always used to say this to his generals, you know, make haste slowly. Don't rush. Take take your time. Think it through. Um, Garland, I completely agree with you. Um, one of some of the earliest programs we did on the Duran uh, after the war began, you know, we, we said lots of things. We weren't Neither is his military person, so we didn't always get things right. But we did get one thing, the fundamental, the big thing right, which is that the Russians do war differently from the way the West does. And I think one of the things that has, to some extent, distorted a lot of the understanding of the war is that, of course, we the people who have been commenting about it in the West most are, of course, people who are trained to think in a Western military way. And the Russians don't necessarily think like this. Now, I just wanted to reference here a, um, a book which I read a short time ago, which made a big impression on me. I'd read it many years before, but it, it, it goes directly to the point you've just been making about how the Russians conduct war. And that is a book written by the British historian, who is of Russian origin, by the way, Dominic Levin, about 1812, the war that the Russians fought then. And it is exactly the same. The Russians had already planned that war before it happened. They they'd always anticipated that Napoleon would come and attack them. And uh, this is something that had not been understood until you know he did all the research and found the archives and spoke, saw the letters and all of this. They they planned in advance. They said, how do we defeat Napoleon? We're not going to defeat him in a single battle. He's a tactical genius. He's got the resources of Europe behind him. We are going to draw him deep into our country. We are going to fight a war of attrition against him. We're going to use all the resources that we have. We're going to use political, diplomatic, uh, um, we're going to stir up people's war. We are going to do these things. And they outthought Napoleon, which is a pretty remarkable thing to do if you think about it. But they did. They outthought him. And they've done exactly the same thing with the West. They've outthought us. And they are still doing so. They are remaining not just one, but many steps ahead. Because to a great extent, they've anticipated our moves, which are not difficult to anticipate, by the way, because we think in such a, frankly, juvenile way about these things. So they, they, they've anticipated our, their moves and they prepare for them before, before we have. And they've got their counter, their, their, their response is ready. Now, I'm not, you know, I don't want to go to the other extreme and saying that these people are, you know, flawless and that they get everything right obviously they don't but overall in, in aggregate they are managing to outthink us in the west certainly they're outthinking the neocons and it has worked entirely to their advantage in it not just in 
terms of the actual fighting in Ukraine, but about the global situation. I mean, I'm sure you saw the film of the reception that Putin received when he went to the UAE and to Saudi Arabia and how he was received there. Yeah, so and and that's um, we can see that the United States, and of course we can see with the ICJ um, issue right now that the United States moved to um, isolate Russia completely backfired on them. Mm-hmm. The, the U.S. and its allies are very much isolated throughout the world. They're isolated economically, and they're moving to finish themselves off by seizing some of Russia's, uh, you know, a significant amount of Russia's funds. As as I'll put it like this. Um, the Biden administration will do everything they can to make it happen. And again, I mean, from a logical perspective, they have to because they're so they're dug so deep in, into it and they have so much um, criminality. You know, so they have so many skeletons in their closet that this thing can unfold in a way that would expose them to scrutiny, shall we say again. And we get back to Donald Trump, their great fear. Is that Donald Trump, an angry Donald Trump, hell hath no, you know, fury like a scorned uh, ex-president, right? <laughs> that he'll come in and, you know, I have no, you know, thoughts that Donald Trump is the answer. You know, he's some great revolutionary president or reformist or whatever. But I do know this. The ruling elites see him as, you know, code red. You know, they see him as their their greatest fear because he will do some things that they don't want which will disrupt the empire and as fragile as it is now it can't stand any disruptions and uh and and i think that one of the things they hadn't calculated was how great of uh, how how uh the the margin of victory that we would see to make it easy I, uh, you know i don't know if you know about 30 minutes into the iowa caucus they pretty much called it for Trump, which means about 30 minutes into the Iowa caucus, the Republican primary for 2024 was called. It's all over. Mm -hmm. Donald Mm -hmm. Trump wins it. Game, set, and match. That also means this. As Donald Trump becomes not only the um, heir apparent to, you know, the the White House, (laughs) but um, as it as whenever they take him to court now, so now it's obvious this guy is the winner, you know, by a by a mile. This guy's ahead of Joe Biden. This guy is, you know, obviously yeah. going to win if all if things continue to go take their normal course. Every time they take him to court for something, every time you read he'll be in court tomorrow, it becomes more obvious that they're using lawfare to take him out. For those, there were people that could try to pretend that it wasn't you know, lawfare, that they were truly going after him. But now that he becomes the pronounced winner, I think it makes it much more obvious yeah. that the, the, the opposition party who is in lead, Joe Biden literally, I don't know if you know this, his approval rating has fallen to 33% yeah. in the United States, 58% disapproval rating. It's over for Joe Biden. So it's going to become more obvious that, as Donald Trump said, and again, I'm not a Trump guy, but Donald Trump said to his supporters, they're coming after you through me. Yeah. And there are people there to said, ah, that's just crazy rhetoric. And I said, I would have to argue that it's true because they want to vote for Donald Trump. They're American citizens. They have a right to vote. And what the ruling elite is saying is, Donald Trump, we don't like him. It could be somebody else, whoever it is. We don't like this person. You're not going to have the opportunity to vote for him. So they are coming after the voters. Mm. 
This is absolutely, by the way, on the Iowa caucuses. I mean, I, I don't know about the full coverage in the United States, but the expectation in Britain, in London, in the political class, was that Nikki Haley was going to do very well, an awful lot better than she did. They'd actually talked themselves into, into thinking that, that she'd actually run away with this, that she was going to do a surprise upset. Of course, it wouldn't be a surprise because that's what they were all expecting, that Nikki Haley was somehow going to be able to dent Donald Trump. And of course, when it turned out otherwise, it was shattering. It was something that, again, has triggered the alarm bells here. And the British are also, remember, the British elite is also deeply implicated in this thing. And for the first time ever over the course of this war, there is growing nervousness in London about the negotiations that took place in March and April of 2022, the ones that happened in Belarus and then in Istanbul, and where there was a heads of agreement. And Boris Johnson has had to come out and pretend that, you know, didn't actually say anything that wrecked the negotiations, despite the fact that we have abundant testimony that says the opposite. And for the first time, you can sense nervousness about what happened then, about the way in which that negotiation was um, sabotaged and destroyed, and about Britain's own role in it. And of course, the political class in Britain has to face the fact that Britain has run out of the means to give assistance, assistance that really counts to Ukraine. They haven't got any more tanks to give. They don't have any more missiles to give. They don't have any more shells or guns to give. So what they're doing is they're getting, engaging in gestures, security agreements that are basically pieces of paper, uh, offers of minesweepers, which they knew the Turks would never allow to go into the Black Sea. Um, and of course, they're doing all of this, even as they're going around the Europe, Europe talking to people in Europe, but above all to the Germans and telling them, look, you're as deep into this as we are. You can't stop now. You've got to go on producing more, more guns and more shells and all of that. You've still got some ability to do that. We've run out of ours, and now you've got to. You've now you've now got to uh, continue because even if the Americans pull out, we've all got to. We're, we're all in this together, and we've just got to go on doing this. And again, you sense the nervousness in London, but also the inability of any part of the political class who are all implicated in this in, in London to change course. It's quite remarkable. It's I've never known anything quite like this in Britain. And in terms of the refusal to talk about these things and to discuss the realities in Britain, I, I've described it as a kind of omerta, a, a, a sense that there has to be a complete silence about alternatives because alternatives aren't things that we can afford to discuss.
And, you know, I, I, I believe that oppressive governments, whatever terms you use for yeah. them, the F word, the T word, whatever it is, oppressive governments, greatest fear is always internal uprisings. Yeah. That is expressed by the way they try to overthrow other governments, right? Their great fear of internal uprisings that the people in their country will get mad and throw them out of office is expressed in how they attempt to overthrow other countries. What do they do? I know we'll we'll foment an internal uprising in that country, and then the people in Russia will rise up and overthrow Putin, Iran, whatever, right? So they express, they send to the world the message that we are horrified of an internal mm -hmm. up, uh, of an internal uprising mm -hmm. by trying to use that tactic to mm -hmm. overthrow other other countries. Now, mm -hmm. what we're seeing now is they are getting exactly what they fear they are creating the dynamic you know it's like um the 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 two people start dating and one of them says to the other oh i'm afraid i just know one of these days you're going to leave me the person's going to eventually leave them because they're creating that dynamic in which the person believe and it eventually that's going to happen they've created a dynamic look at germany of all places where the people won't go to a protest unless they get a ticket you know a, a week ahead of time and instructions where to stand and and signs issued by the government to hold right poland for god's sake yeah. Poland, uh, uh, that, you know, the most anti-Russian place you can find, they're in the streets furious at their government. I was mm. last week in D.C., 400,000 people were in the street, and I froze to death out there, to be quite frank. But, you know, we're not uh, accustomed to a lot of cold in Washington like we're getting right now. It's usually mm. 40 or 50 in the summer, and, you know, twenty. I mean, in the winter, 20s and 30s wasn't welcome, but 400,000 people were out there. So yeah. our government and all is also is looking at it and they're afraid with this Trump thing. They don't know what to do. They're mm -hmm. afraid that if they go too far, that they'll face an internal uprising here. So I think that's the the key phrase to remember. They mm -hmm. try to create a dynamic of color revolution, internal uprising, overthrow the elites in a country. And, and in doing that, they have mirrored that dynamic back home, whether it's Germany, Poland, it's coming to all of these countries. Mm -hmm. When the elite ruling class are seen by the masses as oppressive and not aligned at all with their needs, the classes will the, the, the uh, working class will end up at some point in the street screaming. And anytime they're doing it in, in Germany and Poland, mm -hmm. Uh, it's pretty much coming everywhere else. You know, uh, a former British cabinet minister, an unusual one, I have to say. He's not completely mainstream, but David Frost, who, you know, was in Boris mm -hmm. Johnson's cabinet. But he actually said this. He said that there is a, a, we're in a pre-revolutionary situation in Britain, that, that the entire country is sick to death of the political class here. And that what they're, that they're not yet thinking about uprisings because well let's face it we've never had anything like that in britain right. not since the 1640s i mean you know you have to go all the way back then to find something like that happen but so it's 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 not something that is part of our political tradition but people are starting to feel angry and um, discontented and disaffected and this is being taken out very much on the political class. Uh, I'm going to simply, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but there's been a, there's a major scandal underway in London at the moment involving the way in which the post office, 
the British Post Office, which is a huge institution in Britain with a very storied history, um, persecuted some of its staff over many decades and how this was all kept silent for a very long time. And it's suddenly taken hold. It's become a very angry issue for many people. And this is a big scandal in itself. But I think, and I'm not the only person who's saying this, that one of the reasons it's taken hold in the way that it has is that people feel that the same thing is being done to them every single day. Oh, absolutely. Um, there is, you know, I, I feel like the uh, one of the things that we're seeing now is a loss of faith in the traditional institutions that define a democracy. You know, a, a, a democracy or a republic or at least a healthy, let's put it this way, there, it, there could be a monarchy, there could be anyone. If it looks at, if a government attends to the needs of the masses, people will love the king if the king attends to the needs of the masses. So the type of government is not important. Uh, um, sorry about that. I just lost track. What was your last comment again? No, but the people no longer, you know, the people feel that what is what was done to these people who were, you know, small, my, you know, these are not important people in the post office and they would be persecuted to conceal corruption within the post office itself. But they feel that this is being done to them every day. And oh. I'm not the only person who's saying this. Yes. And what, what I'm getting, oh, excellent. What I'm getting at now, I, I guess, is it's reflective of a loss in confidence in the traditional institutions. Mm. You know, the government, the um, in all phases, the media, there is abs mm. look at the numbers. There's no trust in the media whatsoever. Even the arts in America. Look at uh, Hollywood. Every movie. So, you know, if every description of every movie would start off the same, a diverse group of fill in the blank. People want a movie. You know, they wanted that, ah, whatever, you know, give me a movie with some aliens or spaceships or, you know, gunfighters or something. Right. Mm -hmm. But what they get in every movie now and in the in the Hollywood script is a diverse group of fill in the blank. Show us how we can fight against racism, sexism, male domination, whatever. And so now the only thing these elite people try to do is constantly teach us a cultural lesson. Yeah. So people don't want a movie <coughs> with a cultural lesson. They want aliens or something, fun, a comedy. They want, you know, Monty Python or something. That's not a cultural lesson. In some ways, yeah. comedies and various movies can be philosophical and there can be something to be learned from them, mm -hmm. but indirectly rather than this blunt. Um, at some point in all of these movies, the heroine superhero, the superheroine sits down and has some long soliloquy about how she's overcome male dominated, whatever. Okay, good and fine. But people don't want to pay their money for that. So people, yeah. they've lost faith in the arts, the institutions of the arts, media, yeah. forget it. So bit by bit, the entire system is crumbling. Yeah. To a point where at some point it falls and it will need to be rebuilt and it be, will, I think, be re 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 rebuilt. I do think that when you see such a pronounced and precipitous fall of an empire like this mm. and, and the British people are like horrified. Some people here are scared. Oh, my gosh. And I say, look, the British Empire fell and it wasn't the end of the world. No. In fact, I believe this when the U.S. empire crashes and crumbles, and I believe it will, and I tend to be optimistic that when it does, that the fact of the matter is 
they won't be able to afford these bases. Mm -hmm. They won't be able to afford what they believe are um, uh, ships that they can use for power projection, mm -hmm. but what military technology is proving now are floating coffins. Because if you get into a war with these gigantic ships, with the kinds of missiles that even non-state actors have now, those ships are not going to be around long. So I think the U.S. empire, as it falls apart, will no longer be able to project its power around the world, will not have the money to support all of these bases. And it will actually be better off for the American people because they will be forced economically They'll only have enough money to address the things at home, the things at home to keep the uh, guillotines from being sharp, being sharpened. So mm -hmm. I believe optimistically that the empire will will crumble. But as mm -hmm. did the British Empire, I don't think that will be, you know, some kind of a um, apocalyptic scenario, Mad Max scenario where we're wandering the streets eating at each other. I think we'll be no. better off. No. So we're, we're running out of time in terms of Ukraine, because this is you know, coming back to this. What do they do? Just 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 as a finish to finish this program. I mean, are they going to redouble their efforts to keep the war going? Are they going to try? Are they going to, I mean, you, you spoke about the fact that they're going to seize the assets, but they must know that what I mean, they must deep down know that it's no longer something that they control. That the Russians, in fact, are controlling the war. We're, the West is not actually any longer in control of what happens in the war. So, what are they going to do? I mean, have you any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I've said all along that my thoughts are this: what, what their belief in capital, in money, in finances—you know, through derivatives and asset-backed securities and printing—they can generate all this money, and that that money can defeat defeat anything. And ultimately, what we found out is Western capital will lose to artillery every time. If you're on a on a, on a battlefield, I'm betting on artillery over some guy who's got a bag of, who's got a satchel full of full of money or a computer that he can go and check his account. And there's one hundred billion dollars in there. So even if they give more money to the Ukrainians, it'll just be pilfered by the oligarchs and there's no artillery to buy. The hardware that they need is not there to buy, and they don't have the people to man the systems, even if they were able to get them, give them three times what they would need to defend themselves. Um, it's not there. I suspect, that, and I've said this for quite a while, that uh, they're going to exercise the what I call the Samsonite option. They're going to walk. They're going to walk. And they, you are what your record says you are. What did they do in Afghanistan? What did they do in Vietnam? They will walk up to the edge and when everything falls apart, they will leave the Europeans holding the bag. They will walk out and the Europeans will be looking at each other and they'll say to the, the, the Biden administration or whoever, what do we do now? And the Biden administration will say, what do you mean we? <laughs> no, 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 no. You got problems. Handle them. Fix them. We got other things. We got to go over here and look at this or that. My opinion is they're just going to walk away like they always do. And, and turn stick their head in the sand and off they'll go to other misadventures, but it won't work because the internal pressure, it's not the, 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 the neocons don't care about the external pressure. No. But the internal pressure will turn up the heat inside the empire at home as Trump starts to, you know, roll downhill towards a victory, as the people are in the street screaming, we don't like what our government's doing. The internal pressure, I believe, is what's going to determine, to determine the direction of this um, band of... Uh, of uh, of criminals
I think you're absolutely right. And I think the fact that we're getting these cluster of articles now appearing that, you know, say we've got to stay the course, it's a sign that people are already thinking about doing exactly what you say, taking the Samsonite option, walking out. Otherwise, why, why publish articles like that? Well, Garland, this is where I, I'm going to finish. I'm going to hold okay. hand over to Alex and uh, see whether Alex has anything to add or comment uh, comments. From, well, uh, uh, yeah, Garland, you have, you have five, ten minutes. Certainly. We'll do some questions. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And, yeah. and now, Alexander, what, whatever uh, we don't get to answer, we'll we'll handle yeah. it, me and you. Yes. And uh, yeah, and we'll finish up out the live stream. So Joseph says, do you think Zelensky will flee to the West with his stolen money or will he get the Clinton treatment, Garland? I do this, but yeah, I think he flees to the West. I think, you know, if you remember Ashraf Ghani, the uh, puppet leader in Afghanistan, in the end, he was he fled, fled the country with one hundred and sixty million dollars and he had money falling out on the tarmac as he took off. I think that's the way this thing ends. Um, best case scenario for Zelensky. There is a worst case scenario. We won't discuss that. But best case for scenario for Zelensky, I think it's about 50 50, maybe even 60 40 that he sees the writing on the wall and his and and also the neocons got to get him out of there one way or the other he can't be in a position to talk he knows too much and that's mm. in an instance like that when you're dealing with the neocons or or uh organized crime same difference you can't be the person that knows too much so mm. either he has to come back here to his gated community and hang out i guess he'll be teaching at florida international university with juan guaido or uh <laughs> the unthinkable because if he starts talking you know the they they got they, they got bigger problems mm -hmm. <laughs> than we could ever imagine mm -hmm. uh i'm just picturing like the freshman class going going to florida university whatever the university who did you get i got professor zelensky <laughs> <laughs> yeah juan guaido literally he is at florida international university teaching democracy oh my god <laughs> Oh boy, uh, that girl Casey says so happy to listen to all three of you. Thank you for that. Uh, Raphael says I got into a Russian channel screaming and yelling why Putin is not doing anything with Z. All the Russians told me to sit and wait for his trial. Exactly. It is patience. Beware the fury of a patient man. The Russians are very patient, and you know, in um, uh, a self-defense, one of the things that you have to learn is how to take a punch. Most people don't. Most people get in a fight and if they somebody attacks them and when they take a punch, they're stunned. They're not able to recover. They're horrified or what have you. You have to learn it. You, if you're going to defend yourself, someone could just sneak up with on you and hit you with something. You have to be able to recover and do something offensively and get away. Right. One of the things that the Russians are really good at is absorbing a blow. And yeah. so they will absorb a punch. They will absorb a blow. And Putin was, I think, prepared. President Putin was prepared to take absorb a blow early to reconstitute themselves, to figure out why or where that blow came from and, and then to um, launch a, a, basically a long term counteroffensive. So that's it. They're, they're, the, the Russian way of exhausting your opponent is um, not it's something like that is never going to be popular amongst the people because they're angry and emotional and they say hit back now. But the wise leader says we got a plan. 
we're going to maintain course and speed and it's going to work. And that seems to be the Russian way of, of doing things. And as I said, President Putin is a martial artist. You have to take that into account and understand how a martial artist views conflict. Good point. Sparky says, always great to see Garland Nixon. And Tabernak asks, can the empire of narratives withstand this moment of truth? The biggest threat to the comic book generals is actually Trump, not the de-Americanization. Yes. And, and uh, I'll put it this way. The biggest threat is always the people. But the, there are a lot of people who see Trump as the vessel, whether he is or not is irrelevant. They see Trump as the vessel through which they can effect change. So what Trump is, is not as important as what the people see him as. The horror of the ruling elite is that the people will get to choose who they want, because if they choose Trump, and they may start to like the Trump. They may not like Trump. They, he may do some things that they like or don't like. But four years from now, they're going to expect to be able to choose the next person. Mm -hmm. And you can't start that, uh, you know, uh, 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 people in the direction where they don't want the illusion of democracy. They actually expect democracy. And that's a big part of the horror of the of the, uh, of the ruling elite. Yeah. Emil says Garland always spot on with his analysis. The Duran and Garland are like the League of Justice of the Internet. Good work. Guys. Thank you, Emil. And we'll answer one more question from Sparky and we will let uh, Garland go. We are approaching the one hour mark. Uh, Sparky says, maybe I was wrong about Javier Millet being a, glo a globalist plant. Uh, he's, he stuck it to him at Davos. I fear he made Klaus Schwab feel unsafe. He should consult with Mark Blight. Talk is cheap, so we'll see. I'll say this, but I don't trust Millet. I mean, as soon as he got arrested, he went straight to Washington, to New York to hang out with the uh, Citibank people. He uh, went uh, talking to the worst globalists on earth. Um, I, I, no, I don't trust, uh, you know, I mean, the people thought uh, that Maloney was going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread in Italy. And in the blink of an eye, you know, she revealed who she is. I think Millet, when I look at his history, when I look at some of his early moves, I tend to think he's all hat and no cattle, as they say in Texas, that my opinion, maybe I'm wrong. My opinion is that he's just going to fall in line with the rest of them. Um, but he's going to make a lot of noise. He's going to say th things that sound good to people I, who want to hear what he has to say. Oh, just quickly add to that. I completely agree with Millet. Don't pay any attention to what he says. Look at what he does. And what he's doing is the diametric opposite of what he led everybody to believe that he would do. He's brought in a a, a, a cabinet of oligarchs and <laughs> people like that. He's uh, become bosom friends with the previous uh, uh, president, who was himself a billionaire oligarch. Uh, um, and you know, he, his policies do not stack up with whatever it was that he was pretending that he was going to do. I, I agree with Garland completely. You don't see the ruling elite in the U.S. trying to overthrow him, saying he has to go. None of that stuff. They don't see them him them like they see Trump. You know, they're kind of closed mouth. So they can't come out and say we love him. He's going along with what we want. But they don't want to attack him either. And I think... Well, I watch the the globalist or whatever you want to call them and see the direction they go. The fact that they seem to be awful closed mouth about this guy, as loud as he is running around with chainsaws, implies to me that they are quite relaxed, that he's not going to um, he's not going to rock the, uh, you know, rock the boat. Yeah, I agree. Good point. And Latimer Rose says, always a pleasure to listen to Garland. Thank you, the Durant team, for inviting him. 
Garland Nixon, fantastic show. Garland, I have all your information in the description box down below. I will also have all that info as a pinned comment. Everyone, let's make some noise for Garland on Twitter as well, Twitter X. Uh, we need Garland's voice out there. Garland, thank you very much. One more time, where can people find you? What are the best places for people? Um, of course, you can just search for me on YouTube. I'm on Rumble. I'm on Rockfin, all of those kind of places. I'm on Facebook, Telegram, of course. So just search for me on all of the usual, with the exception of Twitter slash X. Um, I'm not, I'm easy to find because let's face it, there aren't a whole lot of people named Garland and Nixon. So if you see a guy named Garland Nixon, it's most likely me. <laughs> and uh, Garland uh, streams al almost daily, it seems, on uh, on all of the, the major platforms. So yeah. definitely keep an eye out for Garland Nixon. Thank you very much, Garland, for joining Thank us. Thank you Thank very you. much, Garland. A huge all pleasure right. to have you. And we look forward to having you again. Thank you very much. Gentlemen. Take care. All right. That was, that was amazing. It's always great to have Garland it on, is. Alexander. Um, Let's see. Let's uh, knock out the the questions <coughs> and uh, we will uh, let everybody uh, go about their day. Uh, at the end, as the three of you are amazing, I can't express enough how much I appreciate your work. Thank you for that at the end. Uh, Far, thank you for that. Super sticker. Claude says, hi from Quebec City, Canada. Sorry, we got Trudeau. Again, big snow this week. As usual, good team. Merci. Thank you for that. Tabernacle asks, could Europe use nuclear energy instead of Russia? Well, yes, in theory, they could. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in this. I mean, I don't think that you could completely substitute nuclear energy for gas. I mean, remember, gas was also very, very important as a raw material for the German chemical industry, which wasn't widely understood, by the way, or much talked about. And the German chemical industry is now in crisis because it's been cut off from them. But they could, in theory, develop more nuclear power plants. But there are huge problems doing that. The Greens, of course, by definition, would be opposed. There are all kinds of bureaucratic and planning issues. People don't like to have nuclear power stations close to their homes. That's a reality. So it's not straightforward. And these things take an build and cost an awful lot it's not an immediate solution yeah mr kaikon says keep up your good work mario thank you for that super sticker 456t123g says nothing is covered that will not be revealed i suggest they fear the lord not trump the prophet's wife thank you for well, that this, well i'm sure some of them do but some of them of course pretend they don't believe in him yeah, Current Affairs Insider, thank you for that super sticker. Jason Yorio says, thank you, gentlemen, for this crossover live stream. Thank you, Jason. Um, let's see here. Raphael says, we have the dream team here today. Thank mm -hmm. you, Raphael. Uh, the, the Nexus says, gentlemen, I have, uh, I have formalized your method of analysis into a theory. Basically, neocons plus realism equals psycho-realism. <laughs> article on Substack. Mark Solar. Let me put that up there so everyone can see it. Mark Solar on Substack. Well, that's Very something cool. I must read. Psycho-realism. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, Mark. Awesome. Christos says, good on you guys for the flawless reporting. Mm -hmm. I met and hugged Melina Mercuri in 1993 at the Migri Prespa. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Okay, gosh, that was the year before she died. Um, and well, I remember those. I remember that year. I remember that time. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you for that. And from uh, locals, Heyman0123 says, what happens to Isengrad after the defeat at Helm's Deep? Saruman did the only honorable thing. I can't remember what he did. Lord did he hide up? Did he hide up the tower or something like that? And uh, you know, wait until he was eventually released, yeah. and then do all sorts of other terrible things, mm. which uh, eventually caught up with him. But no, well, there you go. I mean, he—he's. Uh, I, I think we are very much in an Isengard um, Saruman type situation. Uh, um, imagining Joe Biden as Saruman is quite a thought. <laughs> I wonder who Sauron is, or Sauron, I believe the correct pronunciation. Uh, uh, BFT Eyes Wide says the globalist transnational governments that are running the West are cracking. And as soon as one of the links is taken out, the rest of the chain collapses. Do you see the Schultz becoming the first link to fall? It could, it, it might be. I mean, Germany is always very important because, of course, it's the heart of the European Union. If the Germans turn against this whole Project Ukraine, then Project Ukraine collapses. Even the US would struggle to keep it going without Germany. Germany is essential. And one senses, just as Garland was saying, that in Germany, there are a lot of secrets that have been locked up in cupboards or tried buried away. And if somebody comes along and starts opening up those cupboards, well, it could be colossally embarrassing. But I, I'm hearing I'm hearing that people are getting more and more angry in Germany. And um, one of the odder aspects of this is apparently there's now intense nostalgia in Germany for the Merkel era. You know, the time of stability and tranquility and relative prosperity. And of course, to all appearances, at least courteous relations with Russia. Mm. Robin, thank you for that super chat. So here, thank you for that super chat. Ralph says, I guess the 33% supporting Biden are completely out of touch in La La Land, as is Biden. Well, indeed, absolutely true. But I mean, don't do remember that there are people in the United States who um, are, are, are deeply opposed to uh, Donald Trump, who are deeply opposed to the Republicans, who've uh, accepted completely the cultural program that um, Garland was talking about. So there is there is a core of people in the United States who are there, and the same is true in Britain. And, you know, th that does provide a sort of base for support. The question is, is it, is it, is it large enough? And I understand that 33% is the lowest uh, percentage point that any president has gone into a real into election into an election in and there's never been a case where the president who's po polling at those kind of numbers ever comes out and wins i am valentina says thank you all alex we need to hear tatters tatters ursula van de crazy elsa says what we considered comedy has become reality. We see it in our own Western governments and media day by yeah. day, and they manage to make it worse. 
well, I think the place to go for comedy about all of this is uh, Alex's clown world. <laughs> I think he gets it perfectly. Sam Whiskey says, when the U.S. empire falls, they will blame it on Third Rome. Yeah, they will. It was the fault of all that ma that bad man, uh, um, you know, in the Kremlin, Vladimir Putin. But they will also blame it on us. Uh, when I say us, I mean the people. They will say that we weren't strong enough and didn't have the, the will and the strength of purpose to see it through. Anita, welcome to the Drad community. Belladonna, thank you for that super sticker. Mustafa says, what is happening between Pakistan and Iran? Well, I, I think this is extremely interesting and very disturbing. Now, of course, each country is launching strikes against the other. Each country is going out of their way to say this isn't a hostile move against the other country. This is all targeted terrorist bases. The reality is there's some major crisis between Iran and Pakistan at the moment. Um, if it was, in fact, something that, you know, was relations were fine, they would have informed each other in advance of what they were going to do. All of this, I am sure, is connected with a general crisis in the Middle East. I am sure that the current government in, in Pakistan, which most Pakistanis, to my knowledge, believe was installed by the United States, is in, involved, at least the Iranians believe it was involved, it's, it is involved in some way in the moves against Iran that are now currently underway. So I would interpret all of this as further signs that an American strike on Iran is coming. Sparky says, great answers on Malay. Thanks. Mm. Lenard says, greetings from Latvia. Not all of us here are zombies, but most are living in the depths of the matrix. Our independence is a bad joke. God bless you. Thank you for that very much. And by the way, um, um, I know people from Latvia and Riga apparently is an extraordinary city. And the Baltic coast, in fact, Latvia altogether is a wonderful place. And I, one day it will find its way. It should do. It's got every reason to be happy and prosperous and generally independent and free. Sparky says, tell people what they want to hear, then do what you want, Paris Hilton. Sounds mm -hmm. like Malay and Israel, when speaking to the U.S., have taken this sage advice to heart. Absolutely. That's exactly right. But I, just if I can just go back to Malay, I think people should not be confused by the fact that, you know, he engages in his showman tactics. As I said, look at what he's actually doing. And, you know, he might have said some rather rude things about Klaus Schwab and talked about Davos being all about socialism uh, which is what he defines as socialism, might not be what we define as socialism. That's another story. I mean, the fact is, none of this is real. Uh, it, it, it wins some support among some people in Argentina, but I think it's going to wear th very thin very quickly, even there. Sophisticated Caveman says, majority of Taiwan population seems to want independence according to elections. Can you comment? Am I missing something? Well, I don't, I, I, I always said right from the start, even when the opinion polls a couple of months ago were suggesting that the Kuomintang party, the one that still wants to maintain the relationship with China, um, I, I, I always said that I was sure that the election would have the outcome that it has, because it is inconceivable that the powers 
in Taiwan and the United States would want any other conceivable outcome. So I, I, I'm sorry to say this. I am deeply, I'm totally cynical about this election in Taiwan. I, I'm not saying that the vote was rigged. I'm just saying that elections in these sort of countries are heavily manipulated. And one must understand that. Moon Dragon says, so the final battle will be siege of minus Stirith somewhere in Ukraine. Could be Odessa. Well, I wouldn't compare uh, Minas Tirith with Odessa. I think on the contrary, uh, Minas Tirith and Odessa. Odessa wants to be on the other side, it seems to me. And I think if you're talking about, I, I, I don't think there will be a siege of Odessa. This is my own personal view. I think by the time the Russians get to Odessa, which I'm confident they will, everything else will be collapsing. Everything in yeah. Ukraine will be collapsing. I think by that point, you know, Mount Doom will have exploded and the Dark Tower will have collapsed and the forces of the Russian forces will be storming through the country. I don't think there will be much resistance by that point. That's my own personal view. Eric Hatchett says Russia will soon have the agricultural market locked up and Europe suffer the consequences. This is completely true. This is absolutely right. Yes. Raul Pinto says Vivek Ramaswamy is pushing for the release of Assange. Your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, well, he's <laughs> very late in the day, but, you know, entirely welcome. I hope there's more and more of that. Um, just as I noticed this being a flurry of interest suddenly, very belatedly, in Gonzalo Lira's case. I hope that, you know, in, in um, Assange's case, um, we, you know, we're still before that point, And I hope that all of this builds momentum and that something happens. I'm going to say this. There is something odd going on about Assange's case. There was that decision by the High Court some months ago, which um, was, a, you know, a paper decision. And I was expecting that... The, there's, the, there's the renewed application for a further hearing, which initially was to be limited to just 30 minutes. And then nothing happened because the High Court delayed making a decision. And then they suddenly said that they would extend the time. And I think it's now four days, which is much more realistic. And then still nothing happened. And months are passing. And again, it looks as if... The High Court is very, very, being very slow, unusually slow to make a decision in connection with somebody who remembers in detention. So you would expect the decision to have been made much faster. So something is going on. There are no doubt phone calls and discussions about what to do and agonizing about it. And I do wonder whether, it, you know, coming back to an earlier theory we had, whether perhaps there's a word from Washington that they don't want him in the United States before the election is out of the way. Yeah. Zariel says, Malay, the new and younger Boris the Clown Johnson. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Tish M says, hope you all watched and listened to Garland's take on Lloyd Austin's disappearance over two shows. Hilariously yes, I did. Absolutely, I did. Excellent we did. Stuff, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, KD says, you two are my daily dose of sanity in this world. I need your videos like I need air to breathe. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for that, KD. Tish M says, Trump's big numbers. Don't forget, Gonzalo predicted there would be no POTUS uh, elections. Rest in peace. 
Well, we will see. I mean, you know, if there has never been, as far as I know, any circumstance in American history where an election, when a presidential election has failed to happen on the due date. I mean, wars, revolutions, civil wars have not prevented one. If if they try to cancel or postpone the election this time, that will be an absolute sign that the United States is in an extreme crisis. Yeah. Hey man, zero one two three says minus Tirith is Beijing and Moscow. Mm -hmm. Ignaki says, did you hear Malay school those Davos kids? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I saw the I saw the whole thing. I mean, it's, it was quite. I mean, at times it was quite funny, actually. But as I said, I, I don't take him seriously. And I think I want to make that absolutely clear. Um, I, before, he was before he was elected, and immediately after he was elected, I did. I, I said to myself, I'm not sure what's going to come of this, but he has a programme and it's an interesting programme and we will see what comes. If the moment he has been elected, that program has just basically withered away. It's vanished. DJ C says, has Finland now made itself into a sort of Ukraine of the north where NATO can station its, mi its missiles moments away from Moscow? What are they thinking? Well, what indeed, what are they thinking? I think they've done a, a whole series of catastrophic mistakes. Um, I know there are some people in Finland who are shocked and bewildered at the way in which this has been done. I know that there's also a sense of um, fatalism that this has all been done around them and that it's become irreversible. There's now uh, moves to make a, a, a political leader in Finland called Alexander Stubb, whom I've uh, had, well, I, I, I know a lot about him and who I consider to be a very dangerous man, the next Finnish president. So, you know, this is a, this is a very worrying situation. And I, I don't think the Russians have any plans to march on Helsinki or anything of that kind. But the Finns are doing things that are very dangerous and very bad for themselves, which is so strange because their relationship with Russia had previously worked so well. Yeah. Well, you could say the same about much of Ukraine. Um, Sparky well, yeah. says, make Ukraine Russia again. Don't even leave a patch named Ukraine. At least it remain a NATO playground, carpetbagger, money launder, laundry, and becomes a BlackRock property. Well, I, I am sure you've read uh, Dmitry Medvedev's latest comment, but I mean, he essentially is agreeing with you. In fact, he goes even further. He says that the mere fact of the existence of Ukraine poses a constant danger to Russia, which cannot be allowed to continue. And he's also saying that the state of Ukraine, because it is dangerous to Russia, is dangerous to Ukraine Ukrainians also. I mean, it's the starkest comment he's made up to now. Raul Pinto says, in Davos, everyone, including Zelensky, acts like it's business as usual, despite Putin's comments that Ukrainian sovereignty is at an end. I, I think that uh, Zelensky's behavior at Davos is absolutely as clownish as it has ever been. I mean, he's uh, the whole interchange with the Chinese Prime Minister Li Tsien has been, I mean, beyond ridiculous. Because Li Tsien won't meet him, uh, um, Zelensky feels he, he can insult him. 
I mean, this is the prime minister of China. I mean, it's, I mean, it, 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 it's crazy. And my my own understanding of Davos, the meetings in Davos, Alex said this, I think, about not the last meeting, but the one before, that this thing has basically lost its credibility now. They meet there. They go through all the motions. They pretend to themselves that they're still the rulers and masters of the universe. And actually, they're not. Yeah. I, I mean, just to wrap up the this thought, uh, Alexander, I mean, this all comes down to this 83 countries peace talk summit thing yeah. that China didn't want to participate in because China was like, why should we? Why should we? I mean, you know, it made no sense for, for China yeah. to be part of this whole charade anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, Anas says, is Zelensky intentionally ethnically cleansing Ukraine with mass mobilization? I know some people think this. I don't think this is the case with Zelensky himself. I don't think he thinks in this way. He, that, that, that isn't his style. I think what he's doing is he's basically improvising. He's coming up with things from one day to another in order to stay where he is and to keep in power and to avoid the reckoning which he knows is coming to postpone it by a further day i think in the case of some other people there might be an element of that but not zelensky himself and finally lada moreau well, we have a couple more lada moreau says i was flabbergasted to find out that uh davos's slogan is something about winning trust who can trust <laughs> wef ever only blind people yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, those who are the most blind are those who do not see. I mean, they are they are living in an in, in a world of illusion. Trust us. Yeah. <laughs> when people when people when people tell you that, by yeah. the way, then you know that you shouldn't trust oh, them. Yeah. I can rem I can remember Tony yeah. Blair, by the way, just after he became prime minister. Well, you know, you can trust me. Trust and me. I said, I said, I remember. I remember thinking, well, that just proves that you can't and shouldn't. Yeah, Ur Ursula's speech at Davos. Let me give you some real information. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whenever they say that, you know, they're about yeah. to BS you. Thank you, Lara Moreau, for that. And finally, we have, um, where is it here? Mila says, many are wrong about Galicia not being Russian. Perhaps today it is culturally not, but when most of Russia was under the Mongols, Galicia was called Gorolitsevo Rus, a Russian kingdom. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there's a long history about Galicia, which I'm not going to start on now. Um, but as I said, there's a very, very long history there, which uh, uh, um, brings out all of this very well. I mean, can I just say, and I've said this before, uh, um, there's a, there's, I once read long ago, very long ago, a novel written during the time of the Austrian Empire in the middle, in the, in the 1870s, I seem to remember. And it's actually set in a, an area close to the city of Lemberg, which of course is today's Lvov. And it straightforwardly identifies the local people, the people who live in Galicia, it calls them Russians. <laughs> that, that, that was what was being said by an Austrian, uh, an Austrian writer in the 1870s. And Sparky says, just spoiling all the West plan for Ukraine makes Russia hassling with absorbing oil, absorbing all of Ukraine worthwhile. Yeah. Thank you for that, Sparky. All right.
I think that is everything. William says Russia is only a threat if you're a threat. Thank you for that. True enough. William. Absolutely. And we'll end it on that uh, note, Alexander. Any final thoughts? And we'll no, see. I, 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 I just, I, I, it's been a great, a great live stream. Ju just to finish off on that, on that last point, the, the last comment. Uh, I, I think it is absolutely true. If you now follow Russian history, especially you know in terms of the European countries, um, the the last thing you should ever do is to go to war with the Russians. I mean, it, it always ends badly, but you don't have to even think about that because scarcely ever, in fact, never are they thinking about going to war with you. It's a point Bismarck, who knew the Russians very well, made all the way back in the 19th century. All right, we will end it there. Thank you to the one and only Garland Nixon. For joining us on this live stream once again i will have all of garland's information down below as a pinned comment as well as in the description box thank you to everyone that joined us on rockfin odyssey rumble and the duran.locals.com on rumble we have a super chat from fleet lord Aftar. trump trump equals good good <laughs> uh, yes the the great robert barnes Mm. We need to get on a show very soon. Elza oh, says, thanks. Remember, you are the best. Thank you, Elza, for that. And uh, did I say thank you to everyone that watched us on the Duran.locals.com? I think I did. Thank you to our moderators. A big shout out to our great moderators. Valies, thank you very much. Tish M, great to have you with us. Tish Zarael, thank you, Zarael. And Reckless Abandon, good to have you with us. Peter, great to have you here with us as well. And I think that is everyone in the moderation. All right, Alexander, uh, GEC812. I almost missed you, GEC812. Thank you to our moderators, Alexander. So let's call it a day. Let's, let's call it a day. And thank you to everybody for a great live stream. Take care.